This weekend, I've been camping. Um, who thinks that was a good choice <laughs> in the middle of September? Um, and in advance of the camping, which was, was geared around my eight-year-old boy's uh, school friends, so about 12 families went away camping together, the boys in that group had all decided that the weekend was going to be full of a certain activity. Um, so I was told that I needed to pack the very long wooden broadswords that we bought at the National Trust that we went to on our last October holiday. And other boys were busy trying to work out how they could sharpen various sticks that they'd found over the last few weeks into something that they could spear something with. We get to the campsite and uh, we have one of those wonderful moments where all the mums take the children off and, and the men make a fire. <laughs> Making a fire with the fire lighter provided by the campsite took about three seconds. And so we were having a moment of peace. And then we got a phone call saying, oh, one of the kids needs some socks who's getting blisters. So um, being nice Chiswick parents, we didn't want the children to have blisters. So someone was dispatched to take some socks to them. And then they came back and we got the report of what they'd been doing. And basically the children had been standing over what was probably a rabbit hole with a stick <laughs> waiting to catch poor said bunny rabbits, uh, secure it and uh, prove their uh, wonderful eight-year-old manhood uh, by uh, having hunted and gathered in, in a way that uh, you know, was meaningful to them. And because of that, it got us talking about one of those books that you often have to study for GCSEs. Um, I can remember reading it at school. Uh, do you know the, the book Lord of the Flies? Have you come across Lord of the Flies? And uh, Lord of the Flies tells this, um, this sort of descent of man sort of story. And uh, basically a, a bunch of um, school kids get stranded because I think a plane crash on a desert island. And there's no adults to restrain them. Conveniently, all the adults die or something in the crash and it's just the children who are left there on the island and, and the whole point is what happens next to the children and when I had to read this at school I think we must have read it when I was 12 and um and I at that time had just been rather stupidly elected as as head boy and I was also in the choir and that the main hero of Lord of the Flies or, or anti-hero of Lord of the Flies if, you, if you've read it is a character called Jack and one of his key quotes um comes here um, his antithesis is a guy called Ralph. And, and this is Ralph speaking. Shut up, said Ralph absently. He lifted the conch. Seems to me we ought to have a chief to decide things. A chief, a chief, everyone chants. I ought to be chief, said Jack, with simple arrogance, because I'm chapter chorister and head boy. I can sing C sharp. <laughs> It was just one of those horrific moments when you realised that you, you had two of those job titles and here was this arrogant little so-and-so who was probably not a million miles away from where you were. I, I don't know how you deal with difficult things in the news or, or you're watching maybe a, a thriller or something like that and there's a, there's a character in it who sort of strikes you as someone that you, you instinctively dislike or loathe. Um, or even you know, people that you, you meet around you, maybe someone sitting next to you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sort of a thing where you go, oh, I don't like that about them. But if you keep looking hard enough, um, oftentimes the people you fall out with, or even the people that, that you dislike in the news, sometimes you can just sort of get your head into thinking, do you know, I wonder if different set of circumstances, different parents, different financial situation different whatever, if I was stuck on a desert island and all the constraints were taken off, if no one could see what I was doing, what would I do? 
what would I be like? Growing up, I, I had one of those mums who was, uh, who was quite involved in uh, worrying for me. I think uh, many mothers are like that. And whenever I'd go out for a party as a teenager, um, she used to say this, this awful line <laughs> that sort of ruined some of my teenage years. Um, uh, it was, don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> I mean, what sort of comment is that for a mum as a teenager is about to go out to a party? I'm like, I hope you wouldn't do any of the things I want to do, mum. Um, but but it, it sort of gave me a boundary um, that somehow in my sort of 15-year-old life, I didn't want to completely break away from. But imagine the, the shackles were taken off. Imagine there was no one to come back to. Imagine there was no one who actually cared about me to worry what I did next. Imagine you have all that so-called freedom to just define yourself however you feel like it. And you do define yourself however you feel like it. What would you end up like? Would you, would you be pleased with it? Or perhaps would you be a bit nervous about what you could do? I can remember at um, 13 having started a new school. And I had a horrific um, year of bullying. And then I got into the hockey team halfway through the year. Um, and by the time I'd gone through a certain amount of bullying, I obviously had a huge amount of anger issues pent up in me. Because I, I got in the hockey team as goalkeeper. And um, do you mind if I borrow you, Dan? Would you, would you mind? This might hurt. Um, but if, you, if you're all right with that. I'd stay near the beanbags if I were you. Um, so, um, and I don't know if you know anything about goalkeeping in hockey. The only thing that matters is not letting them score a goal. And there are various ways of doing this. The nice way is, of course, to sort of stand here and they whack the ball at you and you, you, know, you have reflexes and that sort of thing. But you've got to be quite talented for that to work. Um, but there's another way. It's the preemptive goalkeeper. And you know what a preemptive goalkeeper does? They basically run at you wearing a mask and pads and, and try and knock you over before you can take the shot. So if you, if you just gear up to take a shot, can you, can you gear up? It's like, whoa! You knock the pad. And I obviously had quite... Um, don't need to tell Katie about that. <laughs> um, Susie's sister does our child protection. <laughs> um, the... I obviously had a lot of anger issues burning up in me. And on one level, I had, you know, sort of a choir boy face. I still had one of those awful pudding haircut things that, that none, none of you have got. That's the best laugh I've ever got in this service. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, but you can definitely stay in the front row. Um, uh, but lots of anger. And I wonder if we were really able to look into our hearts. Um, how bad... Do you think we could actually be if the restraints were off, if you didn't have that voice in your head, and if the things that really get you cross and angry really, really came to the fore? Our, our verse tonight, Romans 5, 6 through 8, says this. Very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. For a good person, they might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Now let's unpick this a bit before, before Zoe sort of takes it home for us. Imagine three completely different people. On the one hand, you've got, um, I don't know, who's, who do you think is a righteous person in the room? 
Let's say Tony, Tony Eastwood there. Um, let's, let's get Tony up the front. Let's get Tony up the front. Here's, here's Tony, unsung hero. Uh, Tony's been an aid worker around the world. He's sort of helped people out. I mean, he sort of flies around the world and then stacks shelves, as far as I can tell it, when he, when he does that. Um, but uh, Tony does lovely things, like he, he came to our front garden and made it less of a mess the other week. So here, here's Tony, Unsan hero, righteous person. Um, <laughs> I know Tony quite well, so I, I know that's a, you know, a descriptive stretch. But um, he, he wants to die for Tony this evening. Um, <laughs> not even his wife's got her hands up there, there you go um, now on the other hand there might be someone that you think could do phenomenal good in the world um, um, let's call her Maddie um, uh, and Maddie could be a top scientist um, come on up Maddie top scientist um, and, and she has got a key which is going to make a real difference to um, I don't know I can't, I can't do that word. Let's say cancer. A cancer research key going on in her. And if she's able to complete her research, um, hundreds, thousands of people will survive. Uh, who might take a, a bit for her? If you're feeling particularly gallant um, or really annoyed with your current state of life and wouldn't <laughs> mind a way out of it. Just, just a little bit more uh, hands-on show for saving the good person... The unsung hero, righteous person, frankly, you know, you know, there's lots of nice people in the world. Someone who could make a real difference. Um, might, we, we, might, we might go for it. We might just stop in. People take, would, there are people who actually, their job description is to take a bullet for Donald Trump. Incredible. They're still, they're still in their jobs. The Secret Service have to take a bullet for the sitting president. Um, regardless. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And the whole point of these verses is to say, well, who did Jesus die for? Um, it's, it's rare, very rare for someone to die for an unsung hero uh, like Tony, our aid worker. Uh, for a great scientist like Maddie, uh, we might possibly um, die. Which of these two is the person that Jesus dies for? The person with hidden talents and gems? Or the person who's clearly going to have a wonderful impact on the world? Hands up, he thinks it was Tony. The righteous person. Hands up, he thinks it's for the good, world-changing person. Hands up if you didn't put your hands up at all. Yes, you're the ones who've read the book. And because the whole point of the contrast is that we, or who who would like to be another volunteer for me? Um, (laughs) Maggie, um, are you, uh, well, just because I'm going to ask you to move, uh, are you you, you willing and able to move? Okay, I mean, this isn't... This isn't the most flattering I'll ever be to you, um, just, just, just to warn you. <laughs> um, uh, exhibit C is, is Maggie. And um, Maggie, um, <laughs> I'm really sorry about this, Maggie. Um, Maggie has um, no intrinsic worth in her that God's looking at when he decides to save her. 
Um, Maggie, in fact, has been fighting against God. Maggie is full of sin that separates her from God. Maggie is God's enemy. Maggie, when she looks in on her heart and analyzes herself, goes, oh my goodness me, all these things I'm capable of. Maggie is, is any one of you or I. And with all of the mess and rubbish that goes on in our lives. Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. Not because we've got hidden goodness. And not because we've got great potential to be world changers. He dies for us while we're his enemies. While we're sinners. So you say, can God really love me? Am I good enough for God? Or am I righteous enough for God? And the answer in the book of Romans is, no, you're not. Not at all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified, put right with God freely by his grace. No matter where you've been, what you've done. Who you are, what your potential is. Christ Jesus died for sinners because he loves us as we are. Zoe, over to you. And let's give these guys a round of applause, particularly Maggie. (laughs) Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Richard. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Zoe. I'm the youth worker here, youth minister. And um, I get the privilege of taking home this talk. So we've just been thinking about that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And that's quite a tricky phrase for us in our modern world to get our heads around. Do we feel like sinners? Do we have a concept of what sin is? Richard was asking me these questions and I thought, you know what could help us understand this in this modern world? Instagram. So, Levi, can you load the slides? Okay, just keep it there on the first slide. I'll explain why. So on Instagram, who knows what Instagram is? Put your hand up. Most of you probably have it downloaded on your phone. It's an app where you put on your best photos with lots of hashtag captions. And um, people give them like loves, likes, that type of thing. And it's a very, very popular medium. Apparently the most popular social media in the world at the moment. So on Instagram, there are these amazing photos. But there's also a very happy, interesting tag or hashtag that's Instagram versus reality, which is what I'm going to show you a few of, talk you through, and then link it to what Richard has just shared. So can I have the first Instagram? Thank you. So food. How many of you have seen food advertised? This is what you think it is. This is the glorious photo on your phone. But what really is given to you is this. Such a letdown. We put on our beautiful meals. Who puts on baked beans on toast on the Instagram? You don't. You put down, no, you do your nice avocado salads. Like, it all looks so fancy, but that, that's our reality with food. Next slide. London. We put our best photos of London on Instagram. It looks beautiful. It's like this amazing capital city. Anyone would be proud to live in London, right? But what is reality? Oh, it is so dark. It is so wet most of the time. This is real life. Do you put that on Instagram? No, not really. Next one. 
DIY. Hands up who's tried some DIY in their life. This is a DIY I found when scrolling for photos. The, no, I hadn't, I hadn't prepped it up. Okay, so they crack their phone and then add color to it. And then this is someone who tried to do it. They've just, just cracked their phone screen, basically. We tried DIY. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Levi tried to fix his phone screen once. Levi's my husband. He just destroyed the entire phone. So... <laughs> There is, we try something, sometimes it fails. So that happens with DIY. Our reality is never as good. Next one. Girls, my ladies, how many of you dream of having, well, maybe men too. How many of you dream of having the most beautiful nails? Do you ever do that Instagram shot? Perhaps Kate with your new ring, has that gone on Instagram? Nice nails? No, not yet. Okay. So <laughs> we do these lovely nails. We want them to look beautiful perhaps like that, and then you try. I do this all the time. This is what it looks like when you try to do that. <laughs> Terrible. You can't do it. Our best attempts often look like that. That's the Instagram photo you'd put up if you could get nails like that, but in reality, it's terrible. Next one. Sightseeing. This is one of my favorites. How, how many of you have gone on holiday and you think it's going to be so restful and wonderful and then you remember, other Brits go on holiday. <laughs> they follow you around. They take up all the photo spots. And this is a good um, Great Wall of China. <laughs> you think it will look all serene, but instead, there's lots of people getting in your shot. We bring ourselves wherever we go. When you're on holiday, you think it will be all restful and peaceful. But actually, you, you bring your own frantic self. And that can be not the Instagram photo that it seems like. So yeah, next one. Children. Don't they look angelic? Don't they look sweet? But you spend time with them and you realize those parents are saints, really. So this is a child being fed. I bet it's so, so easy and simple. Next one. Yeah. <laughs> They're a mess. They're hard work. Children, they mess stuff up. I was nannied for a child, well, four boys when I was um, between 18 and 22. And every night, it was a mess. They weren't normal. Well, they were normal, I guess, but they were messy children. We put up our beautiful photos of our children. Do we put up the disgusting stuff that they do? I mean, Richard made us think of an interesting story last week, but we'll leave it there. Okay. Next one, healthy living. We put up healthy shots, don't we? We want to look like healthy people. We Instagram avocado salads and, I don't know, halloumi. But really, is that really healthy? What do we, what do we really eat? <laughs> There's an Instagram photo we'd show. Would we put that up? I don't think so. That's the real life. How many of us go home, just sit in front of the TV and eat chocolate buttons? I do that. But I wouldn't put it on Instagram. Okay, next one, fashion. How many of you have seen a trend and thought, that looks so cool. If I could pull that off, I would look great. I would look so good. So that's what you want it to be like. Then you try. You can't pull it off. It's something inside of you just means you're not made for the trends. There's the people who can do that on Instagram, and then you wouldn't put your photo up either. Okay, I think we're ready for the last one. The gym. 
You think you're going to the gym to work out hard. You think you're going to do it for an hour, an hour and a half, and you're going to look like this guy, if you want to look like that guy. I wouldn't, but maybe Stephen does. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you think it's going to be like that. But I see you guys in the gym. I'm also this person. I, spend, I can spend max half an hour. But anyway, what you really do at the gym... Poor show, it's on your phone. But you wouldn't show that photo on your Instagram. You'd want to show the one where you look good in your leggings or whatever, with some weights pressed up, whatever. So we have this reality that is actually more true of us than what we project on our Instagram. If we think about our reality right now, our reality is more like the stuff that we keep hidden inside, the stuff we wouldn't put on Instagram compared to the perfect, serene shots. Because I think inside we know we're not perfect and airbrushed and all put together. I think deep down inside we know that there is something intrinsically messy inside of us. My dad always used to say this phrase when I was a child. You don't need to teach a child to lie, Zoe. Think about that. You don't. We do it instinctively. I, I told some whoppers. I can't think of any off the top of my head now. But it was literally second nature. You get caught doing something. It was my brother. It wasn't me. It just comes out of our mouth. This stuff just comes out of us. And that's called sin. We don't like to label it sin. But it is. We don't like to say something's black and white, but it is. And this is what this passage says. It is black and white. While we were still sinners, whilst we were still the reality of our brokenness, of our shame, whilst we were still doing things our own way, in that state, in our reality, Christ died for us. In that state, he died for us. He didn't die for us like the righteous person or the scientist person. He died for our brokenness. Let me just do one physical demonstration. Emma, could you come up here? This is what sin is like. I'm God. (laughs) I'm God. And I want to have a relationship with Emma. I made her to have a relationship with me. I made her to be my friend. I made her to be someone who journeys alongside of me. And I give her free will because that's the best way for her to be able to do that. And with her free will, she turns away from me. Just stands still like that. So Emma's over there. I'm over here. She's turned away. But what sin is, is more than turning away... It's a turning inwards. Sin is the I in the capital, the capital I in sin is I. Emma, can you try and turn inwards? Even more, even more. She's so inward, she cannot even see me. She cannot even see me because all she sees is herself. When all we see is ourself, God doesn't even make sense in that equation. Because it's all about us. It's all about the stuff we feel, the stuff we think, the the stuff we think we can get away with. And it's all about me. And in that place, we make a mess. Just like in Lord of the Flies. Spoiler alert, they kill people. So it's messy. Whilst we were like that, Jesus died on a cross and said, I want that person to be my friend again. And so Emma is able, Emma, stand up. 
If she wants to, if she wants to, that is, she's able to stand up, give me a little side glance, and turn back. And we can be friends. Forever. And that's where I'd like to end it. <laughs>